0: All right, today's date is March 1st, 2024, and this is episode 59 with Pastor Chad Peck. Sorry about that, wrong jam.
1: Hi, punks. Going to school, huh? Yeah. Why don't you play fish hooky? and come fishing with us. Yeah, boy. They're sure biting. Get thee behind
2: me, Satan, and don't push.
1: Get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, Get away from me, Satan. Jesus said, You don't tempt the Lord thy God. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, Get away from me, Satan. Jesus said, You don't tempt the Lord thy God. Now Jesus went through the desert, 40 nights and 40 days. When he got tired and hungry, to his father he would pray. But the devil came to Jesus, said if you want to be fed, why don't you turn these big old worthless stones to bread? He said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. Jesus said, you don't tempt the Lord thy God, get behind me, say, Jesus said, get behind me, say, Jesus said, get away from me, say, Jesus said, you don't keep the Lord like God. <laughs> then the devil, he took Jesus, through the devil up on top. And he said, if you are the son of God, you'll for this old rock. Although the scripture says that angels will slow your falling down. And he will gently put your feet back on the ground. Yes, he said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, Get away from me, Satan. Jesus said, You don't tempt the Lord, thy like God. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, Get away from me, Satan. Jesus
2: said, You don't tempt the Lord, thy like God. Ooh.
1: Then the devil get to Jesus, till mountaintop to a mountain top to shove him all the cities and the nations and the kingdoms here below and the devil he told jesus you can't have all that you see if you will just bow down and worship me he said, get behind me satan jesus
2: said get behind me satan
1: jesus said get away from me satan jesus said you don't tempt the lord like God. get behind me satan jesus said get behind me satan Jesus said, get away from me, Satan." Jesus said, yeah. he said, don't tempt the Lord die, God.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to This is an Official Godcast. Thank God it's Friday. My name is Ron Johnston, and I am here tonight with Duncan McGregor. Also tonight, giving a special message on salvation, our special guest, Pastor Chad Peck. Let me begin by welcoming Duncan McGregor. Hello, my kilted friend.
3: How are you doing, man? It's great to be here.
0: It is, isn't it?
3: Oh man, another day above the ground where we're not staring at the roots of daisies. It's always a good day.
0: All right, let's get this question out of the way. Do you have your kilt on?
3: I'm um, not tonight. It's a little chilly outside. I've been doing some work. So, um, one thing that I've learned over the years is kilts don't go with ladders or hard work where you're having to get down, and squat to the ground.
0: It's kind of I more of a summer I, thing. It's
3: a summer thing. I'll wear them all winter, but like I said, is um, yeah, I just I've been really lazy about it this year. You got I got to get back onto that. But I've been also doing a lot of work around here. Like I said, it's just. Kilts are awesome until people are around you and you're on ladders or having to go low to the ground. It's just respect
0: for everybody else. We talked about this. I'm Scottish. Our families fought together. Um, yes, I, 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 I got my, I got my tartan. I know what my tartan colors are. I need to get one too. Maybe we should hang out one day and get, get, uh, get kilted.
3: Oh man, I'll show you, I'll show you the, the inexpensive ways to do it. I, I, as I've learned recently though, um, Apparently you're not supposed to miss wool polyester and stuff like that because it's like bad frequency. I've heard all signs of crazy things, and so now I'm just like, it's all wool.
0: <laughs> bad frequency. We got to yeah, stay heard, away from bad it's frequency. It's amazing
3: all the weird things that you hear about recently and apparently like even wearing certain clothes. Someone was trying to tell me that was scriptural, but I couldn't find anything.
0: <laughs> well, we got a pastor here tonight, so we'll find out if that's scriptural. Exactly.
3: Maybe, maybe, maybe he knows.
0: Are you revved up to talk about salvation tonight? I know I am. You know, I always am. You know, that's my favorite subject, right?
3: That's uh, yeah, and I I think you just got Jeff's ears as he's out there just perked up a little bit too. That's one of his favorite topics, (laughs) it's the most important topic we can have.
0: Amen. Amen. All right, if I can, just a couple things hey, if you or anyone you know would like to come on and give your testimony, please email me personally, personally at ronjohnston14 at gmail.com. And uh, let's just cut to the chase, let's welcome our special guest tonight. I'm so excited to get started pastor chad peck how are you today sir
4: very well thank you for having me on here i'm looking forward to this
0: pleasure is ours hey um for those who don't know pastor chad was here back in october episode 45 45 that's a great number episode 45 and he gave his testimony and then holy smokes duncan mcgregor you're old school my friend was back in january 23 all the way back to episode six gave his testimony and <laughs> wow, was... and and now we're gonna get even crazier i gotta tell you guys something chad and i we live in michigan and duncan lives in michigan so we got all three michigan boys here tonight what on the I panel. i
3: live in kentucky now but i lived
0: in michigan for years well well we're claiming you. you're a michigan boy yeah, tonight
3: you can i'll be a holland boy tonight
0: all right uh chad tell everybody a little bit about yourself you are a pastor where and um what time are your services because i got to tell you I, I know some people still over in your area that need a church so please let them know
4: so we're in Gaines, michigan the church is located at 123 lord street in Gaines. i love the name of the street but the church name is true freedom reform and our services are at 10 o'clock on sunday morning and we do wednesday night bible study at seven we do Wednesday or friday night bible study at seven
0: you guys are doing fri- Fridays too.
4: Every Friday, so Wednesday nights are from seven to eight thirty. Friday nights are from seven to ten thirty every Friday.
0: That's awesome. You guys are hitting it hard,
4: yep. and you yep. got That's to right. nowadays. Yeah, I mean, it's not just we. We go through the the exposition of the Second London Confession too, so we're learning a lot about doctrine on Friday. Mm-hmm. It's still focused on Bible study, but Wednesday night's more of a Bible study. Friday night's more of going through the confessional statements to understand the doctrine that the church teaches, which builds on the foundation of understanding what Bible teaches. Um, that's kind of how we do it. And then what I'm trying to do is raise up men around me so that as the church grows, we're able to, to help the, the church grow in understanding too, because I think that's one of the main problems in churches today too, is that. They get too big for their britches and the pastor doesn't even know anybody there's not enough men that have been raised up underneath them to help shepherd the flock and i mean on a on a really busy day we're a small church we might have 45 people including kids on a busy day and it's not just that many people and so i mean to, to to go with marriage counseling and to go with the counseling of people that i mean one of our families is Unfortunately going through a divorce and trying to help them cope with this and the wife comes to church and the husband doesn't so you You're constantly trying to, to help people through scripture understand the situation and how to cope with what they're facing and uh, It's complicated. I don't know how you can do it in a church over a hundred people just the pastor trying to do it by himself, you know, it's it's
0: not easy. Yeah, my, my church we've got just under I think 200 people. We have two pastors, and you know one will do Sunday morning, one will do Sunday evening. They rotate on Wednesdays, and then we've got a group of I think it's eight men who are elders who are deacons in our church, and those guys do Sunday school just to give the pastors some relief. You know they do the Sunday school, and uh, you're you're right with that many people, it's it's hard for one guy. You need your support. You need your help.
3: I get uncomfortable in big churches. We I discussed that I, I think just a couple nights ago. Um, it's one of the beautiful things about the area we live. There's loads of churches, but they're all very quaint, you know. Um, the preacher knows everybody, everybody knows who's in their um church. Um when I was in Michigan, um, I went to a church um with a friend of mine, and it was full of cameras. Everyone that was working there had radios on their side, and it felt like an industry. And there was yeah. Like four or 500 people at this church, you know, so it's, you know, it's hard to get lost amongst the people. And that's one of the great things about church. One of the great things about what you're doing um, is you bring family together. And that's really what we are. We're children of God, we're family, and we should know each other because we may need them to lean on at some point, they may need to lean on us. And when you get these big churches, you know, it is, it's easy just to become another face in the crowd.
0: There are some churches in Grand Rapids where they have satellite churches and, and there's one pastor and, and, uh, the other churches have big screens and that's what they're watching. They're just watching a big screen from the pastor speaking at a different church. That's, you know, there, and, and I, I don't, I couldn't do that. I don't think I could do that. Wow.
3: How awkward is that? I mean, it's, I mean, I guess you're getting a lot more people at one time, but yeah, I mean. I'm trying to get away from technology as much as can yeah, you know what I'm and, and yeah. embrace myself and all the natural things God gave us, you know? So I appreciate that because like I said, is um maybe someone's handicap, can't get to church. Maybe you don't have a car, you know, so it's good that people can telecast um their churches, but that's odd, you know, literally telecasting from one church to another, where this church is literally just watching a big screen.
0: Yeah, it is. It is nice when you're walking out of church and you get to shake your pastor's hand every every Amen. day, you know, that's yeah. that says something. Well, uh, should we pray? Let's pray before we start this thing, okay? Uh, For all those that are joining, please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for bringing this together tonight. Thank you for choosing us, for loving us. Lord, give us strength to walk for you and to be like you, to help us help others who need you and need to hear this message tonight. Above everything else, thank you for the sacrifice that was made for each one of us. And tonight, just help us to draw closer to you. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to, for those that are just joining, for those that are listening, we're talking about salvation tonight. We normally have a testimony, but uh, every now and then I like to break it up. We had um, my pers- my pastor from my church here a year ago, and uh Chad's a, Chad's a good friend of mine, and he's pastoring a church. And I just thought we'd we'd listen to someone someone a little different, and maybe possibly bring some different perspective. So go ahead. We're going to have a little bit of a, maybe a round table. Duncan and I. We're, we're going to interrupt. We're going to ask some questions. If anyone who's here in live chat got has questions, please just fire those away, and I'll try and pay attention to Chad as much as po- uh, chat as much as possible, and, and we'll get those questions in here to Pastor Chad. All right, brother, what do you got for us?
4: Well, I mean, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead first. I was just
3: going to say, you know, um, I I like what you're doing because, you know, the the testimonies are awesome. But, you know, we can all agree right now that, that salvation is like the biggest thing that we all need to focus on. And it becomes difficult because we get caught up with watching all the politics in the world, what's happening in our country, what's happening around the world. And God wants us to know what's happening, but he doesn't want us to pay attention more to the negative than to the glory and to the mercy and the love that God brings us.
0: Yeah, brother.
3: And that's one thing that I've had a battle with over my time is um kind of backing away from some of the rabbit holes that I fall into and never putting it before the glory of God. So that's number one right now. If I ever go digging or doing some research into politics or, some of the nefarious things happen around the world. The moment that I start getting, you know, anxious or whatever, I back away and go right back to Jesus. And that was something that I never did before. And it was because I got caught so much in some of those, uh, re- digging and researching that I wasn't putting the glory first. And that's like an important thing. And then salvation being the number one important thing, because we're running out of time. And I think we can all agree on that. We don't know when that day is, but we know that today was closer than yesterday.
0: Yeah, it seems like we're getting close. You you take a look outside and everything that's going on. And, you know, for me, I just want to grab all my family that doesn't know them and tell them about them and and, and bring them to where they need to be. Because just like you said, it just seems like time's running out. The days are getting shorter. All right. Sorry, Chad. We got a little crazy. (laughs) I tell you, go ahead and get started and then we can't shut up.
4: (laughs) So. How I would, and like so, say somebody comes to our church and they want to have a meeting with me and they want to talk about salvation. The first passage I would take them to would be Ephesians two. And if you if you started Ephesians two, it says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And so, what first to put context to Ephesians two, he's talking to the believers in the church of Ephesus, right? And he's telling them that you. And and context is important when we're when we're reading these passages and. In these different epistles especially for the epistles but so he's talking to the believers and it says you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience hmm. so the first point of that context is is that these believers were formerly dead in their trespasses and sin, and it says in what you once you which once you in which you once walked, excuse. Me. And I'm I'm reading from the English Standard Version, right? But being dead in your trespasses and sins, that that word in particular, dead. It's not that we're walking around not paying attention. It's not that we're walking around taking a nap. It's that we're literally, well, not literally, but spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins against God and our rebellion against God. And in, this, in, in verse 2, it says that what you once walked. So all of these believers once walked dead in their trespasses and sins. And those are the people that we're trying to reach in the world today, this, this group of unbelievers who are spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. And it says, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, who's Satan, and the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience, which is all those in rebellion. And if you go on to verse three, it says, in whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And right there, that that speaks of the fallen nature of man, that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, we're walking according to the course of the world, we're indulging in the passions of our flesh and the desires of our body and the fallen nature of our mind. And by nature, we're children of wrath. We're, we're, we're in rebellion by our very own nature. We're born into sin as being the posterity of Adam, as, as the descendants of Adam. We've inherited that fallen nature in man. And then, so what's interesting is then if you go into verse 4, that's our problem, right? Hmm. Now, if you get into verse 4, we get the solution. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, but again, he's talking to believers. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. So when he says he loved us, in the context of this passage, who he's talking about is he loved the believers prior to their salvation. I remember the other gentleman saying earlier, before we started the podcast, how how he had, this was all these things happened to him prior to being saved, and in in the context of this passage, because he's saved now. I would say that verse 5 and verse 4 and 5 applies to him where God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, God loved him in that fallen state that he was in, knowing through the predestination that he was going to save him, brought him to where he was, regenerated his heart, and then even when he was dead in our trespasses and sins, he made him alive together with Christ because by grace you have been saved. And then if you go to verse six, it says, and raised him and seated us with him in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show immeasurable riches and grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. But then more importantly, if you get into verse eight, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Verse nine, not a result of work, so that no one may boast, because in verse 10, we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. And and that's such an important text right there in, in, in relation to salvation and, and and in the doctrines of grace and how salvation actually takes place, that it's not a work of man, it's a workmanship of God in Christ Jesus that creates the works of good works that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in, knowing that we would walk in because we've been regenerated so then if you were to go to romans 3 where it says let me see i thought i had romans 3 pulled up here yeah i do so romans 3 if you focus on verse 11 through 18 now he's talking the church in rome right now talking to believers again And if you start in verse 10 it says as it is written that none are righteous no not one no one understands no one seeks out god all left turned aside together they have become worthless no one does good not even one their throat is an open grave they use their tongues to deceive the venom of ask is under their lips their mouth is full of curses and bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood in their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, this is our state prior to a work of God regenerating us. Because what are we? We're new creatures in Christ, right? Yeah. So then the question becomes in salvation, in my opinion, does man in a fallen state, when he's dead in his trespasses and sins, when he's walking according to the course of this world, when he's living according to the prince of the power of the air, indulging in the desires of a fallen mind and living in a fallen flesh, when in romans 3 it says that there's no one righteous not even one that there's no one who seeks god there's no one who understands there's no fear of god before their eyes does that individual in that state come to salvation prior to being regenerated or are they regenerated enabling them to have the desire to then come to god in faith now i would i would lean towards the and. Why I would say that is, is because man's nature, while inheriting the the trait of sin through the fall of Adam, is inclined to go against God. It's inclined to sin. You see, when, when Adam and Eve came on the earth, everything was good, right? Sin had not yet entered into the world. And so with everything being good, adam's inclination was 50 50. he had the ability to do good or bad right his inclination wasn't towards evil and it wasn't towards good he was rolling down the middle and we see that he chose evil um he he sinned against god then he blamed it not only on god but also on his wife and what we see taking place now is through the fall of man and part of being his posterity we've inherited that sinful nature and and through doing so we no longer are inclined fifty-fifty to do good or bad our natural inclination according to ephesians 2 is we're children of wrath our inclination is to go against God, is to do the wrong thing
1: Towards the and flesh. that's
4: why every one of us sin and this is the battle of sin that has taken over our lives yeah and that sounds bad, but it's really the amazing thing that comes from that is grace. And so if we're all children of wrath, our, our, I would argue that our default destination after the fall of Adam is hell. Mm-hmm. And that can be a saddening thing for some people, but it, it's a reality. And we could say, well, well why is it like that? And it's because we rebel against God, and we're fallen man. And God is just so it's not unjust for God to allow people to rebel against him in their free will. But in their free will, they rebel against him. And then he has to be not only is God love, but God is also other things and God has to be just. So in rebellion, man must be punished if they never come to faith in Christ. Now, what adam didn't do here's our great hope is, is christ did see adam had the ability to claim responsibility for his actions not only did he sin but then he placed the responsibility on god then he places the responsibility on his wife and takes no responsibility for his actions in and of himself but then we have christ and what does he do he takes the responsibility of all man's sins through the imputation of our sins onto himself then he places his righteousness by grace through faith onto those who believe through the imputation of his righteousness on fallen man making us be able to be justified in the eyes of the father above which is a legal term but that's the, that's the terminology that we would use and so that was Christ fulfilling the perfect sacrifice through the propitiation of our sins and the sacrificial atonement on the cross what what the sacrifices of the old testament law couldn't do the ceremonial law couldn't do Christ became the sacrificial the perfect sacrifice that could fulfill all those laws that could that could impute the righteousness upon us that that could give us the ability to be saved through the sacrifice not of our own sacrifices but of him of his perfection, of his righteousness, of of his perfection and life placed upon us, the work of God on us, the work that we could never do, that we could never make ourselves righteous or holy in front of a holy God, due to our fallen nature. He's he's too holy and we're too fallen. Like he's he's too righteous and we're too wicked. He's too great and we're too small. We could never do that in and of ourselves. So salvation through Christ by grace through faith in Christ alone is the most amazing promise that anybody could hope to have because if it was left upon us in and of ourselves through a work or some other thing we would never be saved nobody would ever be saved
0: we'd so, never get there not on our own
4: never it's not even possible and so to to back that up like if we were to go to Titus 3.5, it said, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because we were good enough to be saved. It was not that God looked at us and said, oh, I like him. Oh, I like him. And I, And maybe not them, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so some people would say this like that. Like the one thing that really bothers me about the church in a whole is and and this is what we're naturally led to would be legalism. And that's that's what the judaizers were doing and that's what we see taking place in a lot of the churches today. The judaizers were saying you need to hear the the ceremonial law, the the mosaic law, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul says no. And today you'll have churches say well you need to to, to be baptized in order to be saved. You need to dress a certain way in order to be saved. And and none of these things are true, you know like for baptism, if you, if you needed to be baptized in order to be saved, then how did the thief on the cross ever get saved? God said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The thief on the cross was never baptized. So that in and of itself destroys the baptism idea. Now we are, we should be baptized as baptized will be a profession of the outward, an outward profession of our inward faith. I would agree with that, but we're not saved by the water. Sprinkled on our head. We're not saved by the 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 dipping of the water in the baptismal. It's merely a an outward profession that we have been saved. We have been regenerated. Now the Catholic Church would say that the Holy Spirit enters in through baptism, and and it's just a false doctrine altogether. There's a church down the road from me that says that when you're baptized, that's when the Holy Spirit enters in, and then you must come up speaking in tongues, and that's evidence of your salvation. Now I completely renounce that as well. romans three twenty eight. we hold that one is justified there's that legal term again by faith apart from the works of the law now when i say justified justified is justification is elite it's a courtroom term right justification means you're you're it's a it's essentially saying you're innocent it's opposite of condemnation right and we're justified by faith hmm. through, through grace by faith but not according to our own works, not in, not according to baptism, not according to our own righteousness, not according to anything we do. But we're justified according to the work of Christ and His righteousness imputed on us, and at the same time, our sins imputed unto Him, both past, both past, present, and future. That is what takes place through regeneration. Romans five one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace in God. Now through the Through that justification and real salvation we should have peace knowing that we've been justified and and that would go to you know you you get into some of these doctrines but that would go into the assurance of faith you know that that god doesn't save somebody and then we're maintaining our salvation through our works it's like that's another that would be another form of legalism that okay, God saved me, and now I have to maintain this form of righteousness in order to maintain my salvation, in which you and I and anybody else who's being honest and real with themselves would know that that's impossible because we fail every day. We sin every day. Now, some people would say that in that sin that you must repent of your sins and then you're, you're made right again with God. No, no, we're not. I mean, we should, we, we are, we will repent and we are called to repentance, continual repentance, but it's not that we're falling in and out of salvation. So a lot of churches would teach these types of things that not only do we save ourselves in a fallen state, being dead in our trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world, but then we also maintain our salvation through our works and we can lose our salvation and i would argue against every single one of those and that the label for that the theological term for that would be arminianism which was brought about by jacob arminius um some church fathers held the same belief uh i again i would completely renounce that because god saves and god's not we're not falling in and out of salvation that we're going to lose our salvation based on our own works because we're not saved by our own works to begin with So if you were to go to Romans 3 and then focus on 22 through 25, it says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Now he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. But it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith, and that's the propitiation. What propitiation means is that we're saved through the sacrificial atonement. Propitiation is the that's that imputation, that that Christ taking the the blame, so to speak, for our sinful nature and placing it upon Himself, enable that because that because God is just, right? So that sin has God has to punish our sins somehow. We can't just make it to heaven without our sins being punished or being claimed for. So in verse 25, where it says, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's what's taking place through the sacrificial atonement of the son on the tree that day in Calvary. He's propitiating our sins through the atonement. He's taking the, the punishment as we're justified through grace in Christ according to the father above. It's nothing that we've done. It's nothing that we could hope to do. Um, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Yeah. There's, there's nothing that someone, Satan, see here's the problem is people think that Satan and god and christ are at the same level but the triune god the father the son and the holy spirit aren't created they're all living all-knowing co-eternal co-equal they've been forever satan's a created being and and it's not like christ and satan are doing this arm wrestle and satan's winning once in a while and christ is losing and and we're wondering what's going to take place satan can't take somebody out of god's hands all that the Father have given to the Son will be saved. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And if you went back to, to reaffirm that in 27 through 29 of chapter 10, I give them eternal life. They will never perish and none will snatch them out of my hand. So the Father has chosen to give them to the Son. And so this goes back to the Son will never cast them out and nothing can snatch them out of the Son's hand. And so then this goes back to how salvation takes place it's, it's it's been determined and now it's not that we're walking around robots though it, there's the, there's a thing called secondary causes and there is free will and so what what it falls down to is arminianism and then what i would call the doctrines of grace which some people would call calvinism but does Okay, so let's put it this way. Let's go back to the atonement. The Father sends the Son to live the perfect life, to die the perfect death on the cross in the sacrificial atonement. Arminianism would teach, or provisionism, it's also called, which refers to provenial grace, which Arminianism would teach that fallen man is walked according to the course of this world, is, is, is living dead in their trespasses and sins. And through provenial grace, which is grace that God sends out essentially through the hearing of the word of the gospel in the Bible. And through the spirit outwardly works on that man in order to entice that man or to, to work on that man's mind and his heart in order that that man in that fallen state, unregenerate, professes faith in God. And then through that faith, salvation falls on that man. And then the Holy Spirit comes and he's regenerated. So in that terminology, and they would also claim that God foreknew, like that would be Romans 8, 28 through 30, that God foreknew that these people would be saved. But God is essentially helpless to save them unless they make that decision in and of themselves. But God does work grace on them. But he's not enabling them. He's just enticing them and hoping they have this sort of epiphany moment. And then so that the Arminianism Ar- Arminianists would say that that takes place that way, but also that they can lose their salvation because of their free will. Now, a provisionist is essentially an Arminius, an Armini an Arminius, I guess that's a way to put it, but he essentially adheres to Arminianism. And what he does, though, the difference between the provisionists and the Arminianism, is that the provisionist believes in eternal security. So they believe in everything about Arminianism. They would teach a gospel of Arminianism, but they would teach once you come to faith that there's no loss of salvation. That that they would adhere to John 10:27 through 29. That that nothing could snatch them out of the Father's hands yeah. once they profess that faith through their free will. Now they, I don't know. I've never had anybody explain it to me properly, but now all of a sudden they still have free will, but not the free will to be unsafe, which so, is kind of contradictory to me. But but that's what most of your like your fundamental ind- independent Baptist churches would teach a lot of that. That's what a lot of them would believe. So you, would
0: so you're saying to, you're saying once you're saved, you're saved.
4: I 100 percent know that that's true. Okay. That, that that's what that's like. What the parable is referring to as the the lost sheep that that God would leave the 99 behind to go snatch the one back so like how you gave your testimony Ron, and you said you know that you had fallen out of out of grace or whatever I can't remember how you worded it but maybe you could remind me I
0: I grew up the church I grew up in the church and then I walked away
4: yes so that's here's another thing and we might be a little bit scatterbrained on this side. maybe you guys can draw me back but so like a lot of the churches today right they i don't I can't remember the exact number but i think it was like 60 some percenters and i'm probably way off on that number but a majority let's just use a vast majority of the children of the youth of the churches are falling out of the church once they become adults they yeah. stop going right yeah and and a vast majority of them kids have also professed faith in god through easy believers or or relying on their parents testimony in order to be saved now here's what i would argue is that those those children may be saved or if and here's the deal so let's say that ron never came back to salvation never came back to to christ never never come came back to reading his bible and, and professing faith in god i would say that that's evidence of matthew 7 21 that says not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter." that on that day many will profess to me that they did mighty works in my name. That these were people who believed that they were living for God, but they're told to depart because their faith is not real if relying in works. But at the same time, it's a and, and, and I think that applies to, to people who profess faith, but then don't those who do have the will of my Father who is in heaven will be saved. Not that we're saved by works, but that maintaining our adherence to the gospel. That maintaining our our focus on God's word, that applying that word to our lives to the best of our ability, to focusing on God is evidence of our salvation because we're trying to do the will of God, the Father who is in heaven. Mm -hmm. Now, somebody who professes faith and then walks away from the faith. now Now, before I get into that, it doesn't mean that somebody can not profess faith, walk in faith for a long time, still be genuinely saved and then walk away. The evidence of your testimony being genuine and true would be that you came back so so a genuine believer can have a great fall they can have a great regression they can have a a great falling away from the word of god but if they were genuinely saved now you're referring to that that parable of the lost sheep that that and and that none all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me i will never cast out i give them the eternal life they will never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand that that they will be brought back. Um, I can't remember the verse right now, but all that the Father gives to the Son will be saved. It's,
0: so if my if my heart and my and 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 uh, if my heart was genuine, if if my faith was, then then I I can't lose it because I came back. But if but if I never came back, then it wasn't genuine.
4: Yes, one hundred percent. I'm
0: with you. Okay. So yeah,
4: like John, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: It's kind of like
3: what you, you know, you were saying too, is that, you know, you know, obviously accepting Christ into our hearts, a big one, you were saying, you know, about baptisms early. We actually had a question. And I don't know if you screenshot. I got it. Oh, okay. But, um, that was one of those things too, is that, you know, by being baptized, you're showing your obedience. It's not necessarily, like you said, it's not the water. Um, Jeff and I had a conversation the other day about the blood over the doors on Passover. You know, is it the blood over the door that actually does something? No, it's your show of obedience. Mm-hmm. And it's like you said, it's the works aren't what gets you in the heaven. But when you find Christ, I feel like you're just more motivated to do those work. You know what I'm saying? It kind of one comes with the other and, uh, sure. I, some of the greatest, um, most, uh, you know, people that have some of the best foundations, some of the best relationship with God. And they do that, They'll have those laps of, of faith, but then they end up coming back a little bit stronger. And like you're saying, is that you know, we, we aren't perfect, you know, so we're, we're constantly having to, to work at it, you know, um, and like I said, it's once you find God, you want to do those deeds. um, And you should want to do those deeds because it's kind of like the whole thing, you know, about not knowing the time that Christ is going to come back for us. You know what I'm saying? If we knew that day, what would we be doing?
0: We'd, we'd be, be we'd be doing the good days, thing right before he came.
3: Hopping on our knees, minutes before <laughs> right. Christ comes at the door going, Heavenly Father, please forgive me for right. my, you know what I'm saying? Right.
4: Like, well, we're called to fulfill the Great Commission. That's spreading the gospel yes. to all because, that, so like, just I wanna I wanna build on this a little bit more. John six, thirty seven sure. through thirty nine. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. This is Christ speaking. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. All that the Father gives to the Son will come. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down to heaven, from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me I will lose nothing but raise it up on that last day. So what I'm trying to give you guys a vision of, anyone listening, is the atonement and the power of the atonement. So the Bible also says, I lay down my life for my sheep, right? So the argument of doctrines of grace is that, so here's the deal. Let's say that you had a credit card debt, Ron, right? Okay. And and I came in and I'm like, okay, Ron's got this debt. You reached out to me. You're like, hey, Chad, can you cover this debt for me? I'm like, sure. Yeah, I'll help you out. So I pay your debt. The credit card company then has no legal right. Because we're talking about legal terms, justification, right? They have no legal right to then punish you or to come at you for that debt because that debt has been paid, right? Correct. The Bible says that Christ laid down his life for his sheep. So on the atonement, the question then becomes, did Christ lay down his life for all? because if, if Christ laid down his life for all, then it would be unjust for anybody to go to hell for their sins because their sins had then been atoned for and, and and the punishment then lies on Christ. Now it would be unjust for somebody to go to hell in that state because their sins have been bought and paid for. Now I would argue, that christ laid down his life for his sheep now when it says the whole world i the christ died for the sins of the whole world i believe that my interpretation of that verse would be that what it's in reference to is the sins of the sheep around the globe in the whole world on every continent
2: okay
1: all
4: of the sheep sins because that would correlate with a just punishment for those who are still living and dwelling in rebellion outside of faith now that doesn't mean that the gospel isn't for all we preach the whosoever gospel we preach the gospel to any and everybody who's willing to hear because we as believers want everybody to be saved we just don't know who's going to believe and so the question of arminianism would say that the atonement was what i would call impotent that it was that christ died on the cross in hopes that through provenial, provenient grace, that through the work of the gospel, working on a fallen man who's dead in his trespasses and sins. And and like Bodhi Baccham said, dead men don't grab. And and the then the word of the gospel is foolishness to those who are falling away, who are falling and passing away in a regenerate state. But so they argue that in that state, that it's not foolishness and that a dead man grabs the gospel when the gospel comes to them. Well, I argue that their arms are falling down. They're laying down dead spiritually. Now, the atonement was potent. The atonement came so that Christ would die on the cross through a propitiation of the sins for the imputation of the righteousness on the sheep who are predestined before the foundation of the world to be saved, Hmm. knowing that that atonement would be potent, that there was a purpose, that, that it wasn't a guesswork, that it wasn't a, a foreknowledge, like the weatherman, it was a not only a foreknowledge, but a predestination before the foundation of the world that this process would take place, that these people were chosen in the womb. Like in, when Paul was regenerated, when he's walking down the road to Damascus, and you can't tell me that it was <laughs> prevenient grace that, that blinded him and brought him to his knees. It was the work of God, the Holy Spirit working on that man Changing him, regenerating him, and taking him from persecutor to promoter of the church in an instantaneous moment when he's been regenerated, created a new creature in Christ, created a completely new man. Now his same, he still has the free will, but so here and and his desires have changed. So what happens? What we would teach is that Christ died on the sins, died on the cross for the sins of of all those that believe in Him, and what happens is is that through that regeneration at God's time, not our own, because just like you and, and most people I talk to, I've lived a pretty wicked life. And it was not me coming to this epiphany moment in my life saying, oh man, I'm gonna start living righteous. Even though I fail every day, I'm gonna start living for God. It was the regeneration of the spirit in my heart, changing who I was, creating a new creature in me. And now no longer do I desire to sin, even though my flesh desires to sin, my new desire has changed and my desire is to worship a holy God, to live in righteousness for him, to try to be an example of the gospel message to others for him, to, to, to proclaim the great commission across the world as much as I can to as many people as I can. And that's what we're called to do. And I believe that's the true message of grace, that, that there is a form of grace as far as God. So God does love everyone as far as them being his creation, right? But there's a different type of saving grace that falls on the believer and, and what we see great there is a grace of love as far as like any good you do is by the grace of god without any type of grace on your life you, you you'd be hitler you could be as bad as anybody else and and what causes a man to be like hitler is is so like that's what it's so like some people would say well if it's like that then how is god not the author of sin well god's not the author of sin because We're working, he's using secondary causes according to our own free will. So what I mean by that is like when the Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, if God literally or physically hardened Pharaoh's heart, it would make him the author of sin. But what God did instead was Pharaoh was acting according to his own fallen nature, according to his own free will, committing his own sin. And all God is doing is slowly and slowly removing his grace off of Pharaoh. So Pharaoh naturally now is hardening his own heart more. It's just like, if, think about having a bad thought. Think about having a bad thought when you were a wicked sinner, not even focusing on God. And you can even apply that today if you are in Christ. But think about having a bad thought, right? Mm-hmm. And and then feeding so you have the thought and you kind of push it away. You're like, okay. Then you have the thought the next day and it's more and more enticing. And then you have the thought the next day, and you start to, to ponder maybe you should do it. Then you have the thought the next day and, and you actually commit it. And so it's the building up of that rebellion, and it's the removing of God's grace upon you as you feed into it. Like we teach our kids, don't feed into the lie. Don't, don't once you once you feed a sin, it grows. Once you feed anything, it grows. Mm-hmm. And the most dangerous temptation of sin is is when you have opportunity desire and temptation and when those three things meet that's when sin takes place so you have the desire to sin you have the temptation in your mind to sin and now the opportunity is there and you commence the desire is formulated in your flesh to sin through a natural nature the temptation is placed before you by the world the devil and now opportunity takes place through some randomness or whatever uh and now you sin now you that's how sin takes place in every individual's lives desire temptation and opportunity when those three things combine and come together that's the most dangerous time in any believer's life and that's the most dangerous time in any fallen individual's life that's that's how that takes place but as far as salvation goes it's by grace through faith in christ and that's it today we would say for the glory of god alone and we learn that through Scripture alone, and that's the five solas of the Reformation. But this was the ultimate form of the Reformation. That's why Luther nailed the theses on the door of the Roman Catholic Church. They were they were teaching a works based salvation, and he says, "No, I've I've lived that. I've lived that life. I I can't save myself. And so here it's salvation by faith, but or by grace through faith alone, and that's it. There's nothing more to add to it." Anytime we start adding to it, now you're teaching a false gospel message. Now, now you're adding to the true gospel message of Christ. And yeah. and you're trying to live according to something in and of yourself, as opposed to the righteousness of Christ on the cross. And that's the gospel message. And anytime we go outside of that, you get Galatians 1.8. And, and Galatians 1.8 says, anyone who preaches a gospel outside of what the apostles taught or outside of what the Bible teaches or outside of what Christ taught, let them be accursed it's a false gospel message and that's that's what we see taking place all around right us in this world today and yeah. especially in western culture in many of these churches it's this is this perverted gospel message of 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 a phony type of grace of this easy believism that's just like it's 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 a work of the devil himself and it's deceiving many Did and you, like the bible says that even satan will disguise himself as an angel of light and soul his workers you know you've got these people who claim to be genuine teachers and and genuine professors of faith and and they're they're just misleading so many individuals it's sad and it it breaks my heart
0: easy believism did did you make that up
4: no i i I wish i could point that term myself no i can't that's pretty good but uh it's easy believism yeah yeah it's 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 so my my father-in-law right and i love the guy to death he's he's taught me a lot uh growing up
0: so we spoke about we him on your a um
4: different view of the
0: yeah we spoke about him in episode 45 when you were yeah, with us yeah. I, I remember you did yeah
4: he had a great difference on theology and and he he's a, he, he teaches easy believism and it drives me insane because mm. uh just i've heard him he has this booth at the fair and and He'll hand out a card when somebody prays a prayer with them. And I've done that. I did it one time, and we, we did it with over 200 people in one night. And, uh, man, it's one of the biggest convictions in my heart because so many – the next year, last year, we went and uh, we did some street preaching at the carnival while he was having his booth. And me and a couple guys from my church went and did some street preaching, and people would come up to us and say, oh, I, I I know I'm saved. I prayed this prayer, and they showed me the date on their card because they had just left his booth. And I'm not saying that some people aren't saved and regenerated in that moment. I I believe that there probably are some, but you would know by the evidence of the changes in their life. Yeah. Now- They have to have a change in
0: heart. A change in heart's part of it.
4: Yes. And I would argue most people in that point in time, and and I could see it just by the way they were acting in that, and in the few moments I had interaction with them, that's fair, there was no change in that moment, and they were falling now in a false assurance of this business card that they had in their wallet or in their purse, and and it breaks my heart today to wonder how many of those individuals are walking around thinking they're going to heaven when they're not.
0: They're going to get that. I do not know you. Yeah, exactly. That's what they're going to hear. I never. The same knew-
4: thing. We went to a funeral the other day, and and. I've yet to hear a, a real gospel message at a funeral, because, and I and I get it. I get that you want to comfort people, and I get that that's, you don't want to be too hard. That's huge at
0: our church. Our church looks at that as a great opportunity to 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 tell the gospel at a funeral because most of the people that are are not believers. And, and our church,
4: church,
0: our church looks at that as the perfect opportunity. They always tell the gospel at a funeral. Always, someone always, said always. it
3: perfectly because. You walked now, You have now walked into my territory, and I have dominion over this place right here. So you get to listen to what I've got to say.
4: That's awesome. Yeah, the last one I went to, everybody, everybody was going to heaven, regardless of what they believed, regardless of their profession of faith, regardless of their actions. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that our actions save us, but our actions are evidence of whether or not we have been saved. And yeah, and it's a fruit. everybody leaving that room, according to that pastor. They were going to heaven. And I and I firmly believe that one day, though that's not his congregation, he did preach a false gospel message to them. And I feel like that pastor is gonna have to answer for those souls one day.
3: Yeah, it, More so than others. I always say that too. You know, it's one thing when you're misleading yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah It's
3: another yeah. thing when you are becoming a stumbling block from other brothers and sisters.
0: It's more great. And I tell you, know, I know God
3: others. doesn't go, well, I'm more upset with you because of this sin than I am of him, but I'm sure he has a, a He's a little stricter on those that mess with the innocence of children, a little stricter on those who mislead and deceive his flock. 100%.
4: Yeah.
3: You know, on, on our show the other day, you know, I've been really excited, like I say, cause I'm a newer Christian than many. So I'm still coming across and making these connections and getting so excited about little connections. And one thing that I talked about on our show last week, um, specifically was, um, when, um, Simon Peter smote the high priest servant, um, um, Malchus, and he cut off his ear, you know, so I called that show the power of attorney sure. because, it was a beautiful representation of, of what Christ does for us. So the reason that he healed the ear of Malchus was because he removed the crime. He, you know, because that was a high crime. What Peter did, Peter would have been literally hung, put down or put on a cross for, you know, harming a high priest servant. Um, so Jesus went over there, healed his ear literally took the crime away. You can go to court now and there's no proof of a crime, but in essence, you know, with us, being saved by Christ, truly saved by Christ being washed in his blood. Well, what has he done for us? The same exact thing he became our power of attorney that blood wiped over us. Um, basically removes, you know, evidence of, of sin. But once again, like I said, is this not just going, Hey, you know, you know half hearted because you can't lie to yourself. You're never going to be able to lie to the. Father.
0: So we had a question, Chad, I, if I could go back to it here, this is, um, So if you've been baptized and you're saved, but you fall into the same two sins, for example, repeatedly, and you've repented and made progress, how are you to be at peace and rest and assurance of the salvation you accepted? Sometimes when you fall, you feel unworthy. And what if you choose to sin knowing it's wrong?
4: Well, that's the, so first of all, I would say that number one that's not true repentance so true repentance is a turning away from the sin now there's a difference between feeling guilty and saying i'm sorry and redoing the sin over and over and true repentance which is a a turning away from the sin that god has called you to turn away from now here's the deal though even though that's not true repentance the fact that you even acknowledge that that sin is real, and that you're battling that sin in your life, mm-hmm. and that you want to do good, even even though you you know it's wrong, and you do the wrong thing sometimes. That you have that conviction in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's that would be evidence of your salvation in and of itself. Because oh, if you think about it, prior to being saved, you don't have that conviction.
0: Yeah, you right. might feel
4: guilty about it, but it's not it's not a real conviction. The fact that you know that you're transgressing against God and that you're, you're even concerned enough to ask the question that, Hey, I'm doing this and I, I'm fighting it. The, the battle is evidence of the salvation. The battle is what's real. The battle is, the battle is horrible in the flesh. We hate the battle, but the battle is the assurance. The battle is knowing that you're saved. The battle, it, that's what, that's what causes it to be real is like, Oh, I didn't just do something wrong and I feel bad because the world says it's bad. Oh, I did something wrong and God says it's bad, and I know I offended him to the point where I want to repent, even though I haven't fully repented. I'm trying, I'm I'm gearing towards that. That's evidence of salvation. That's your assurance right there that you're safe. That's that whoever asked that question should know that they have assurance of their salvation. Now that doesn't mean we can we can go sin abundantly and sit abound and just do whatever we please, knowing that we're safe. Now that's a different story. Because but 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 to have that conviction only the holy spirit gives you that conviction of worrying about what god actually thinks Hmm.
1: that you're offending
4: him now now how do you beat that you don't rely on yourself because we fail we're in a fallen body we're not christ we rely on christ and the work of the holy spirit in our hearts and what we do is is so that goes to let me look this up it's james one if you guys have your bibles open them to james 1 and uh in james 1 we learn about prayer and 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 oftentimes the believers wondering why why does my prayer not get answered why do i pray so many prayers and they never get answered well if you if you go to verse 2 in chapter 1 of james it says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds now we're all facing trials we might we might be facing health and sickness trials. We might be facing temptations and, and sin and lust and all these different desires in our flesh. That's natural. Every believer has these things. But in verse 3, it says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, that doesn't mean sinless perfection, but it means that you're becoming more and more holy in God. And he's working on you and molding you and building the endurance of your faith through these trials. And God is using these trials through his divine providence in order to, it's not like he doesn't know what's going on. He's He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's He knows all things. He's omnipresent. God's everywhere. Yes. God's working with you. And he knows he's using these things, these trials in the believer's life to build up their faith. Now in verse 5, it goes to prayer. And what I'm saying is, is, if you're battling with something in your life right now as a believer we have to know how to pray and in verse 5 it says if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask god who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to them now it says right here if you lack wisdom how do you how do you what would cause you to to be able to truly repent true wisdom true acknowledgement true awareness of your sin and it says if you ask god because of you lacking wisdom he gives generously to all believers without reproach. And it not might be given, we might not hope that it would be given, but that it will be given to them. And then in verse six, we, we are, so that's our solution to our problem. And then in verse six, it says, but let him ask in faith. So now we see the evidence of, what, of how we deal with this solution, how, how we actually go through this prayer that we ask in faith without doubting, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, and that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, because he's double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. So we ask for wisdom to God, we pray to God, asking in wisdom, because anything that we ask that's good according to the will of God, he will give, he promises to give, but we ask in faith, knowing that he would give us the ability and the wisdom to conquer these sins, without doubt. See, often when we pray, we, we doubt, we don't we're, we're hoping that God would answer, but we don't expect an answer to our prayer. And that doesn't mean we pray for a Lamborghini and we get a Lamborghini. That's <laughs> that's not the will of God. But but if you're praying in genuine love to God and in genuine faith for the wisdom to follow him more closely, to draw more nearly to him, to, to defeat the sins and conquer the sins in your life, to walk a more righteous life, down the narrow pathway for his glory alone, And not to impress somebody else, and not to to be better than somebody else, but just for the glory of God to be exposed, then God will answer that prayer for you. But you have to do it that way. You can't be double-minded. You can't be doubting, like like driven like the wave of the sea and tossed by the wind. If you pray that way, it clearly says in verse seven that you should not suppose that you will receive anything. But if you pray knowing, and, and you pray in faith, and you pray in truth for this wisdom that would be given without reproach to all as a promise, God will answer your prayer and God will work in you and will cause you to defeat these things in your life. And, and it's like a snowball effect because once you yeah. start conquering one thing and you realize how this actually works in these directives by God, you, you become unstoppable. And it's not that you still won't sin. It's not still that you won't have battles. It's just that you won't believe the progress that you'll make in life. And then you'll find, As long as you continue to pray, as long as you continue to study God's word, and as long as you're going to church and having fellowship and being held accountable by other believers in your life, that that this is a progression, not a regression. Mm -hmm. But as long as you pull away from faith, as long as you pull away from knowing that God will answer your true prayer, as long as you pull away from the study of God, you will regress and you will fall away. And, And that doesn't mean you won't be saved if you're genuinely saved. But it means the devil and the world will cause you to live a miserable life through salvation.
0: Man, you're solid. Definitely. <laughs> we had another question. Um, you've been to seminary school?
4: Nope. Completely self taught. Um, you've seen my library. I read a lot. Um, I study about 10 to 12 hours a day. I'll be honest with you while I'm at work. But. Um, I I listen to a lot of lectures and I read a lot and, and, um,
0: you told me you've read every book behind you, haven't you?
4: (laughs) No, no, I haven't read every book behind me. So like in my library, it's it's quite extensive, but every book has a purpose. So like, when I'm studying a, a doctrine of some sort or I'm reading a passage or I'm trying to get an understanding of what it means, I, I pull from a lot of different resources, and I might not read an entire book, but I'll read a a specific portion or section of a book to give me a a very sound understanding on what, well, first I'll read the Bible, but secondly, I'll get a sound understanding on what it was taught by church history, by the forefathers, and then I'll get an understanding on what all these other men, how they interpret this Hmm. Bible and, and, and this particular verse. And now, It's important to understand that there's certain doctrines that are indisputable, and there's certain doctrines that are up for discussion. And so, like, I would be closer in doctrinal relation to a Presbyterian Reformed church than I would be to a fundamental independent Baptist church, and I'm a Reformed Baptist. So I have more in common with the Reformed Presbyterian, as far as my theology, than I do with a fundamental independent Baptist or a Pentecostal. Um we just differ in our beliefs and but what i found really interesting um is that most people don't know what they think and when 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 i'm able to articulate and run people through the scriptures and 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 use scripture to interpret scripture and to use proper hermeneutics to to understand what the passage is actually saying in the proper context i'm able to teach people what the bible actually says and 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 a lot of them unfortunately say that nobody's really done that with them and they've never been walked through that particular passage in the proper context before because our natural inclination is to save ourselves our natural inclination is to fall into legalism it's to fall into a workspace gossip and um what happened i mean so i went from a pentecostal church to a to a well several of them to a, a fundamental independent baptist church and i was always an armenian once i came to faith or believed in god and once i realized that i was learning from a lot of what when i when i was studying i was like man these people are telling me the truth not the people of churches the people that i was studying on my own and then i realized what the doctrines of grace was and and what all these different things meant through the soul laws and and then started getting their church history and. And it's really important to understand that you have to be able you have to know as a believer this is the problem in the church today that as a believer you have to know your bible so well that you have to have it with you and read it as the people are teaching but understand the passages enough that you can hold the people teaching accountable and that's one thing that's greatly lacking in the church today is we just take it for granted what the pastor says is true and real and and sometimes they're dishonest wholeheartedly. they're not trying to deceive, they're just misled themselves and deceive themselves. and, and sometimes unfortunately they're trying to deceive you purposefully yeah uh, whether it be for gain or just who knows why. but it's really important to understand what the Bible says and that's why I'm all for, I'm a huge proponent of expository preaching, picking a book in the Bible, starting from chapter one, verse one, and going through that entire text. Number one, it, it, it lets God teach you what, what in the order that he wanted things to be taught. And it doesn't allow the, the pastor to jump around and teach a bunch of topical sermons, even though I will randomly sometimes going to a topical sermon. It, it, it teaches, and it, and it also allows you to not avoid the difficult text where, Oh, I don't want to preach on that passage because it might offend somebody. Oh, I don't want to preach on that passage because I don't understand it. It forces you to go through expositing each and every one of these verses in the proper context. And then, too, it gives the congregation the ability to study on their own at home, knowing what's going to be taught next so that they can have the accountability and, and build their knowledge on that book or that passage and verses as well. And then they can built the pastor should then build upon the knowledge that they've gained from reading the bible themselves and that's greatly lacking in many churches today as well too because people don't first of all they don't want the accountability and second of all they don't understand the bible enough that they should they don't have enough seminary school doesn't teach you to be a pastor or a preacher seminary school most of them teach you armenian armenian gospel anyway. so uh I mean when I was attending the Fundamental Independent Baptist Church I was going to go to college and I realized I'm like well they don't even teach what I believe so like why would I want to go to college to get a piece of paper for credibility so to speak
0: yeah when I I saw I saw someone had uh, said last week that you know when you're when you're looking for someone to lead your church be less concerned with someone who went to seminary school and and look for a strong man that's filled in the holy spirit
4: i mean you still need the knowledge so like i agree with that completely but you still have to have the knowledge to back it up but not everybody learns the same way you know like i mean i'm, I'm a huge self-learner and but that doesn't mean i do it all on myself i'm not the whole, first of all the holy spirit is teaching you and the holy spirit is the one that gives anybody the ability to do any of this it's a calling on your life from god and if it's real you know that it's real but you learn you find the right teachers to learn from and and that's through discernment and through asking questions and through understanding doctrine now that's why i think confessional statements are so important because if you don't have a, a, a foundation of a confessional statement yeah that the church can just go off of whatever they want this is our confessional statement it's like yeah but where'd you get that from where did that get derived from? That's why we love the Second London 1689, Second London Confession of Faith, the Baptist Confession of Faith. It it, it teaches you all the these core doctrines, and through these core doctrines, it gives you the ability to use them to, to formulate the proper hermeneutics to, to interpret the Bible. Like we're talking about justification today, and in the first paragraph of the 1689, it says those whom God effectually calls. So God effectually calls people. He also freely justifies, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning them sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them, done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing Christ's active obedience under the whole law, and passive obedience in his death for their whole and soul righteousness by faith, which by faith they have not of themselves the free gift of God. Now, when you have these confessions of faith and these statements, now this goes way on. We're not going to bore you with all these paragraphs, but it gives you this foundation of the doctrines of the Bible. Now, this isn't more important than the Bible, the Bible is the most important thing, but this is what the Bible teaches. And when you understand this, these The confessional statement also gives you all the verses and the reference points on where these people came up with these actual statements and that's why it's so important because you're not just reading that statement saying oh that makes sense you're going to the bible after reading the statement and reaffirming that that's what scripture says and giving you a better understanding that that's actually true and real it's 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 uncomparable it can't be beat you know it it's 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 something that everybody should do. They should know what confession of faith they adhere to. Now, we are Baptists, so we adhere to the 1689 Second London. Now, a Presbyterian would adhere to the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is slightly different, but so similar in nature, it's not even funny. And that's why I say we would we would correlate more with our doctrinal beliefs with a, a Reformed Presbyterian church than we would with a, a free will Arminian Baptist fundamental independent church. We just, we both adhere to the same confessional statement, almost, except for a few non-foundational doctrines, like baby baptism and stuff like that. And it's like, if you went to Romans 8, 29 through 30, it says, For those whom he foreknew, so there is foreknowledge by God, but he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his Son, See, a lot of fundamental independent baptists would jump over predestined and that's what i mean that the 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 atonement was potent that not only did god foreknew but he foreknew that when he sent his son that he also predestined those sheep to be conformed to the image of his son that it was a potent atonement and he did so in verse 29 in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers not that he would hope to be but that he would be that there's going to be a propitiation of sins for those that come to faith that were predestined because in verse 30 it says and those whom he predestined he also called and though that would be calling through the gospel message that's the provenient grace but they were already predestined and those whom he called he also justified that's the legality term and in those whom he justified he also glorified which means once you're justified you're sanctified well first you're just there's a there's a process of instant sanctification which leads to instant justification they're almost simultaneous in and of themselves then that leads to the the long process of actual sanctification in your life where God's molding and mending you to be more like Christ the process of the conviction of the sins in your life and then it says he also glorified which is the security that those whom he justified he also glorified and we're not glorified till the day we die but we're not being justified and unjustified by our actions we're justified by grace through faith, and then we will be glorified by God because it's a promise of God. And what happens is it's not like the, like, I remember one time I was preaching and an a uncle of mine's a pastor too, and he said, brother, that you were had the anointing of the Holy Spirit on you today. And it's like, well, what, don't I have it other days? Is the Holy Spirit just jumping in and out of me? Or is the Holy Spirit indwelling in me through justification, sanctifying me in my life? and working on me it's not like the holy spirit's here and gone he's always with us he's he's omniscient omnipresent just like jesus and just like the father he's always there he's not we're not justified in one moment and then the holy spirit's like oh man you shouldn't have said that i'm out of here and he leaves and you're unjustified (laughs) right once you're truly justified and that's the hope of our assurance that we're in that process of sanctification which is the awareness and the conviction of our sins which ultimately gives us the assurance that we're saved, but then that that promise that we can adhere to that we'll be glorified on that day. Whether Christ come before we die or that day that we die, we go to glorification. And that's the great hope that we have. That's the great hope that those that are lost don't have, but that's why we preach the great commission and we spread the gospel because we want them to have it. We just don't know those that will be saved. We don't know those that will respond. And we don't know that we might preach the gospel Today, in that 10 years down the road, on God's time, he sends the spirit, regenerates that man, and that we planted the seed through the work of God in our hearts. Now, that's the process of true salvation. And and people would argue with me, but they have to they have to skip and jump over so many texts to, to build their case. I, I can't follow it. I can't do it. I mean, I can add to it if you want. I just don't want to take over the whole show.
0: Awesome, man. Absolutely awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I mean,
4: this is salvation, though. and This is like, it's so important that people understand salvation. You know what I mean? Because, like, if you went to John 15, John 15, verse 15, chapter 15, verse 15, it says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from the father have made known to you. Verse 16 is where it gets important. You did not choose, this is what happened to Paul walking on the road to Damascus. Uh, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. That's what happened to Paul. Paul's walking, going to persecute the church, literally. And all of a sudden he's like, wait a minute, what am I doing? He falls on his knees, he's blinded for three days. They have to lead them into the city it's like paul didn't do that himself paul paul was saved by grace which led to his faith he was regenerated by the holy spirit now everybody has the ability to come to god it's the lack of desire Hmm. what happens through regeneration is that our desires have changed we no longer desire to do that that which is evil but we desire to do that which is good which is what happens. The only way for that to happen is through regeneration. That's why we preach regeneration prior to faith, because something has to change in the man to want them to cause them to come to God, to bring them out of that deadened state. Men don't bring themselves into birth in their mother's womb. Men don't raise themselves from the grave any more than men bring themselves to salvation. God does these things. God is the the author of all of these things. And without God being the author, we're hopeless and helpless, and that's what we fall on. That's 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 the most amazing promise we could have, because we don't have to rely on ourselves. We're relying on Christ's work through the work of the Spirit, God and God, in hopes that, and not in hope, in faith that the Father God, the Triune God, is working in us. That it's 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 all a work of God. That's the most amazing thing, and when it's real in your life. To deny that so like deny that's ridiculous but the and what i would call it is a man-centered gospel the more man-centered your gospel the more you rely on yourself the more you rely on your works the more you rely on provenient grace that you made the decision to come to god without the work of the spirit in your heart you lift yourself up and in order to lift yourself up you lower god yeah yeah. One, when one goes up, the other one goes down, but the higher your view on God, the work of God, the higher God is in your life, the lower you put yourself. That is him that he brought me to my knees, just like he brought Paul to his knees on the road of Damascus. He brought me through these things to destroy my pride, to destroy my my feelings in, in myself that I'm good enough to be saved, to destroy myself, that I could do anything in and of myself. My works are that of filthy rags but the work of Christ is perfect and righteous and holy. And that's how I'm saved. God brings us to our knees and puts us through these trials, just like in James chapter one, like we read, so that the building up of the faith to bring us to where we can no longer rely on ourselves. And our only hope is Christ. That's true salvation.
0: It's repentance. And I
4: guess that's the most important promise in the world.
0: It's, uh, it's repentance it's uh believing in him and the change of heart
4: 100 percent. but it's not it's not like you have to repent of every single sin that you have now we we should be repenting of our sins continually but to say that you have to be repentant of all your sins is a matter of pride because that would say that you're aware of all your sins to begin with anybody knows that as soon as they conquer one sin another sins revealed to them that they didn't even know about the more righteous we, we become the more the sinful nature within us is revealed so it's, it's literally impossible for us to even know what all of our sins are to repent and none of us are worshiping god like christ but god the father like christ did in a perfect way so in essence we're all failing in the first commandment every single day and so it's a continual process of of repentance and sin but But it's not that it's like, oh, man, I didn't repent of that that sin. I'm going to hell. No, you should repent of it. You should be praying to God like in James 1 that he could pull you away from it. But at the same time, it's impossible to repent of all your sins because you're not perfect and you don't know what they are. And it's a prideful statement to say that only those who repent of all their sins will be saved. But it is by grace through faith, which leads to repentance. Yes, Mm. but it's not perfect repentance i guess i would say it's a process
3: i can't imagine because sitting you know, running through
4: work, work. you know what i mean yeah
3: i'm sorry you're, you're saying uh, Duncan I, yeah i just i can't imagine having to go through and remember every sin that i have ever done knowing that i'm missing something it, it's literally like god please forgive me for all my sins i'll tell you the ones that i can remember but trust me there's a whole lot more um god remembers but like i said i mean think about this like If it wasn't for Jesus, think about this. Think about not picking up a Bible. What if it was only the old Testament, 11 years old, you pick up the old Testament for the very first time and you put it right back down going, well, there's no reason I could read that. I'm already damned pretty much by the time I was six years old. Jesus gives us that reason to get back into it. You know what I'm saying? And that knowing that we have that other chance, like I said, you know, I just think about this, the, the glory of that right there is pretty amazing. Otherwise, we'd probably be damned by the time we were six years old, especially in today's world.
4: Well, we're already damned, that's the thing. We're damned from birth. we need, That's what we need, the great grace of Christ to pull us out of that damnation. That's yeah. what we need. And so like, one thing you just said, I wanna add too, that you said, uh, God doesn't forgive. God is aware of our sins, but if you went to Micah 719, it says he again will have compassion on us he will tread our iniquities underfoot he will cast our sins into the depths of the sea he is god does forget our sins when we repent god does forget our sins when we're saved because those sins have been imputed on to the righteousness of christ those sins from the genuine believer both past, present and future have been imputed to christ on through the atonement through it for the propitiation of our sins now what's what's difficult though is we do remember our sin we they we do remember not all of them but we remember them and the memory of our sin god he, some people would say it's horrible like why did i live this past life why did i do all these things why do i have to remember all these things in my life that Like, why did I do that to my wife? Why did I do that to my kids? Why did I do that to my friends? Why did I do that to, you could go down the list. God uses the memory of your sin to show you who you were and to show you what he's pulled you out of and to what you've become. That's the memory that we have of our sins. Some people would say the memory of our sins is horrible, but the memory of our sins is one of the greatest things you could possibly have Mm -hmm. because it shows you who you once were and yeah. now who you could be that, that God, God shows us that we may not be what we once, we may not be what we should. How does that go? We may not be what we once were, but thank God I'm not, Oh wait, I may not be, I'm butchering this. <laughs> I may not be who I should be, but thank God I'm not who I once was. Yeah. That's the truth of the gospel. That yeah. I may not be who I should be in the perfection of the holy God. But thank God he pulled me out of who I once was. And thank God for the memory of who I once was. So I remember how wicked and evil I used to be. But he's pulled me out of that through his grace. And that he's placed that righteousness upon me through the imputation of his righteousness on me and justification. And through the imputation of my wickedness onto him through the atonement. Thank God for that memory of who I was and where he's brought me to today. That is the evidence of your salvation the awareness of who you once were in a fallen state completely unaware of the grace of god working on you and now who you've become in that state of regeneration with the spirit working in you that it's the greatest memory you could have and and so god does cast those sins into the sea of forgetfulness but you remember your sin you're aware of them
0: perfect I'm glad you're
1: here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just, just, uh, we just need to hear that, man. We just need to hear that. You know, sometimes we doubt our salvation and, uh, and thanks for setting us straight.
4: Yeah. You know, Satan wants you to doubt your salvation because Satan wants, we're to walk in joy. What greater, Um, like, look at all the things going around us in this world. and, And it's so, so natural to put ourselves in some man like some politician or or something taking place in the world around us and it's like we see all these detrimental things as believers it's it's romans 1 18 through 32 taking place it's the wrath of god falling upon mankind due to the rebellion we're under judgment and so being aware of that we're under judgment we're not to gaze upon the things that we see we're to gaze upon the things that we don't see our gaze shouldn't be on the things of this world our gaze should be to the heavens above and that gives us true joy through the tribulations around us that gives us true joy in all of these things that we face in our lives that 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 this isn't our home we're merely strangers passing through mm-hmm. and that we don't have to worry about what's going to take place in this world that that it is what it is that there will be a new heaven and a new earth that that this world is passing away and that this isn't our home we, it's it's irrelevant not that we shouldn't hope and pray for good to take place but god's wrath's falling upon man and it's 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 being destroyed and we see that as evidence taking place before us and if you were to read romans 1 18 through 32 it would be a direct evidence of that truth it's not that these things are taking that's not that fallen man is doing these things and that then these things are taking place it's that These things taking place around us is evidence that fallen man has fallen under the wrath and judgment of God. That when you see these things, that's when you know, like, oh man, it's going on. We're under the judgment right now. And the true joy of the believer, what we have is we don't have to worry about the circumstances. We're not focused on the circumstances around us through salvation in the grace of God. We have the great hope of what is to come. This is merely temporary. That's how people were able to be martyred throughout time for their faith because they knew that, kill me. Don't fear the man that can destroy you. fear the God that can send you to eternal hell. Yeah. And, and it's not that we're living in fear and afraid of God, we're living in fear and love of God, knowing of what he is and how powerful he is and that he's able to pull us out of the depths of hell through his grace like that. What and, what? and that this is temporary at best.
0: What do we say, Duncan, Are you threatening me with heaven?
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't threaten me with heaven. <laughs>
4: that's amazing and it's true. We we should never we we the the true believer, death is is the most amazing thing. And that the fear of death is is natural in man and that's why so many people are afraid to die, but the thing is, is is that if you're truly saved, just like it said in Romans that you will be justified, you'll be glorified. That's your promise that you're you're going to a place far better than you are here. Oh, yeah, you're I, I, in the things of this world.
3: It's time for an upgrade anyways, you know
4: <laughs> for real.
3: We hit that certain age saying yeah, it's <laughs> time for an upgrade. i'm ready to I'm ready to shed this meat sheath.
4: <laughs> you're right, though, for sure I, I mean it's It's a great promise, but like we forget it, and so it's, we need to, we need to reiterate justification, glorification. That we're justified we're not unjustified we need to reiterate this selves to us and and continual consume ourselves in the gospel so that we understand that it's real and it's true and, and 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 just ingrain it into our mind so that we don't focus on this fallen world around us because it's fallen and it is fallen and it, and, and we can't save it there's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth and and it's going to take place now, we, our, our goal is not to change the circumstances around us. Our goal, it's not even our goal. What should be taking place through generation is that the way we view the circumstances around us should change. That our view of yeah. the things is that knowing that we're in a fallen world and knowing that what is to come. And that, and that our view is no longer worrisome or troubled but we walk in joy knowing what is to come through the promises that have been given to us in scriptures by a holy God. And that's where our faith lies, not in the things of this world, but in the things in the heavens above. Amen.
0: Brother, you're you're awesome. Tell us one more time where we can find you on Sundays and what times?
4: True Freedom Reform Church, 10 o'clock Sunday morning, uh, one, two, three Lord street in Gates and, seven on wednesdays and seven on fridays and you can find us on facebook if you want to watch online you can find us at true freedom reformed on facebook as well and we live stream all of our messages there
0: beautiful so if you're not in the flint area and you can't make it to the brick and mortar just tune into uh, true freedom reformed on facebook and you can watch the whole sermons there awesome beautiful thank you brother appreciate you uh chad can i have you pray us out tonight 100%. 100%. All right. Um, before we do that, let me read Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And you also need to have that change of heart. all right brother
4: ready to pray let's do it father i just i thank you so much for this opportunity with these gentlemen before me and i just ask that you bless them lord that you give them the strength and the knowledge and the wisdom to spread your word that you bless this message today that that it goes on softened hearts and open ears and that anybody who is genuinely saved that's questioning their salvation, Lord, that you bring assurance to their hearts, that you've justified them by grace and faith, and it's through Christ alone, nothing that they can do themselves. Lord, guide them and direct them. Anybody listening who may be on the broad way to destruction, Lord, draw them to the narrow path to life. Bring them to the gate of salvation. God, we just ask that you bless everybody listening to this service, That you Make your word be known, that your gospel be spread amongst the world and amongst our communities where we live. Just put somebody in front of us, Lord, that we may speak the gospel message to them. Give us the courage and the strength to spread your word. To not fear salvation for anybody around us. To not be stingy with our own salvation. But to spread the great commission to all. To give them the same type of glory that you have given us to come. Father, that's what we want for everybody in this world. We want everybody to be saved the message of predestination lord does not exclude anybody in our eyes because we do not know who they are to be saved so we preach the message to all and let that message be fruitful for you and for your glory alone father once again just bless these men before me i thank you for them coming into my life in any way that i can help them lord give me the strength and the ability to do so I just ask for the grace upon our lives and ask for your message of truth in this Sunday morning service today. Thank you so much for all that you do. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thanks again, Chad.
4: Thank you.
0: All right. Hey, we're about to end the show here. So thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. I appreciate this, you guys all being here. Um, Please share this message. Share it with someone that you love uh chad hang out we're gonna play a song to end it but hang out after the show we just want to say our own personal goodbyes and uh and please do that hang out with us
3: yep. and i'll see you guys uh in a bit i'm gonna be checking out of here in a second i will see you guys over at kilted christian at nine o'clock eastern time yes we've got jonathan um maxim on tonight we're gonna to be talking about god we're gonna be talking about all of those beautiful natural remedies that god has given us on this earth so that we can take care of ourselves without having to go to pharmaceutical companies and hospitals so Hope you guys can make it.
0: Oh, man, that's going to be helpful. We got to get away from that pharmakia. Yeah, exactly. God made it all. We don't need any of that stuff, man. He put everything here for us, and we don't need any of that stuff. All right, I'll leave you with this, my dearest friends. Let us not forget we are here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to spread the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please find that person you love that does not know him and tell him your testimony. Do it today.
2: I got a front row seat to the madness. I pick up my phone every morning out of habit. I've been feeling for the drama, yeah, I said it. I'm addicted to the rush, need a medic. When I take a step back, I can see it. All the pain, all the fear we've been feeling. Losing sight of the thing that we're needing, that we're needing. Honestly just need jesus honestly i think we just need jesus have we all gone mad have we lost our minds what used to be wrong we say that is right honestly i think we just need jesus take a good long look in the my heart and soul make it clearer help me take your love trade the bitter leave it in the dust help me leave it in the dust we've been preaching we've been drinking in the vanity now it's got its question in our sanity and we wonder how we get all this anxiety It's clear to me honestly i think we just need jesus Honestly, I think we just need Jesus Have we all gone mad? Have we lost our mind? It used to be wrong, We'd say that is right Honestly, I think we just need Jesus We turn away,
4: we're running back.
0: Yes. Make us new, Jesus. Thank you. Honestly, I think we just need Jesus. That's the answer. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. I don't know who's going to do their testimony next week. Could it be you? Email me at ronjohnson14 at gmail.com. We'll get that handled. We'll see you guys next week. We love you. Goodbye.